0: Hello, my name is Corey, and welcome to the RCF Podcast, a place where you can dive deep into what the scriptures say, get caught up on current events, or sit back and listen to topical discussions on life from all ages. Thanks so much for tuning in. Now I'm going to turn it over to RCF's pastor, James. Hey, welcome, guys, as we are looking at the churches in Revelation, as we seek to kind of dive in deeper a little bit to the history and to what was going on in the time as it relates to the scriptures, you know, things that we just can't get to on Sunday morning. And so as we pick up in Revelation chapter 2, verses 13 through 17 this Sunday, we're going to look at the church of Pergamos, or Pergamum, depending on your Bible translation, or some people say one versus the other, one's just simply a feminine versus a neuter form of the same word. So as we look at this church in history and we'll kind of bring that into more context on Sunday and and what the Lord has to speak to us from the scriptures. Today we're just going to look at largely the history, some interesting things about it, what was going on leading up to and during the time of the letter that's written to this this church in the middle of a war. A spiritual war, as we find them in Revelation. In a separate podcast, I hope to really consider and, and dive in deep to the kind of the historical picture that we see from the seven churches. I'll just briefly mention and touch on that, but we're going to save that and dive in deeper on a separate podcast, which we, Lord willing, hope to get out in the next few weeks. Um, The Church of Pergamos in that really represents a time when the church became uh, really united with the world. As we see Ephesus really kind of highlight the first century church that was started off on fire and was cooling off by the end of the around 100 AD when Jesus wrote to them. They still had the good stuff, and when when God spoke to them, they obeyed, but their first love, that foundational love with Jesus, had cooled. And then the church, and and, and the seven will overlap, the church entered a time of of great persecution, and Jesus said it would be ten days. And we see historically that there were literally ten Roman emperors that brought great persecution to the church. And that lasted roughly from the time of Nero in the mid-60s until 313 A.D. And so, as we see it historically, we'll pick up there with the Church of Pergamos. And it would represent from 313 to approximately 600 A.D. When the Church would have this infiltration from the world. And what the Roman emperors couldn't do with persecution was brought in with corruption. So the word Pergamus really means per. It's kind of like where we get perverted. It's this twisting, this unholy. And then gamas is union or marriage. So this, this unholy union, if you will, is the name of this city. That was actually named after a a child many, many years before this, but we it's interesting that that's what this name of this city means, is unholy union. So several hundred years before this, if you go back all the way up to the time of Alexander, a few hundred years earlier, this city really wasn't much. It was kind of basically just a, a castle on a hill, a, a fortress, and hardly anybody was there. But there was a series of kings, and they kind of they had a pretty strategic place, as it was to Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey. It was a real um, important route on the way to the east. And as Greek was Greece was failing, and Rome was rising, there was a king, King Attalus, around the mid 100s BC he saw Rome rising, and so he aligned himself with Rome and really began to butter up to them. And he did something very interesting. Uh, upon his death, he actually kind of he gave their kingdom, the part of where Pergamus or per- Pergamum was, was kind of the seat of power for that area of Asia Minor, he, he gave it to Rome. Now this made Rome pretty happy because this really took them to the next level. Not only did it give them the important ports of of Ephesus or Smyrna that that were just wonderful trade places, and so it brought a lot of prosperity, but it also opened up their empire to be connected to and really um, gain some ground. To the east, So that happened about 133 BC that he gave it to Rome and, and as the Romans rose to power this became a real important thing. And so along with that they also gave this city, this people, a real seat of power for that area. And it was for a long, long time and it rose in prosperity and influence for the area. Pergamum was really kind of the, the seat of power for Asia Minor. It was called the Jewel of Asia and in a different way than Ephesus. Ephesus was kind of the darling and had its marble street and amazing architecture. But Pergamum was a city that would first bring in emperor worship and established um, an altar there all the way from from before the time of Christ. And it was to Augustus there several decades prior and at first it was just kind of this act of appreciation but later as rome would grow in power and they would submit themselves to rome under rome that emperor worship this emperor cult would become mandatory by the days of that revelation was written by the by the 90s their domitian would make worship mandatory or it would cost you your life. And so this was a, was a very difficult place to be for Christians in this way. It was interesting. Chuck Missler, he really takes some time and lines out um, that as Babylon had failed and kind of through the Macedonian, the... Um, Grecian empires, and as it kind of floated through, that all the priests that were heavily involved in Babylon migrated to this area and really established and kept the Babylonian religion alive. And that now around this time in the ni- in mid 90s AD, many of them were migrating to Rome because you know they followed the money and the power. But but it seems interesting that we know that there is this mystery Babylon, this this origin of false religion that that lives on until, well, past our day currently, until Jesus brings its end towards the end of the tribulation. So we got these guys floating around. That's going to be important as we look at the, um, well, the number of Greek gods in the false religion that just really is the seat of power and influence and brings the corruption not only to their culture, but unto the entire area. A couple other little historical things before we we get into a little bit more of of the church's time period in Pergamum there around around mid 90s AD is it was it was a also a neat city because not only was it was the seat for just a real broad uh, worship of Greek gods and now the Roman emperor, But this place had uh, really kind of rivaled much of the papyrus that was coming out of Egypt as they would put out this parchment. And it was an interesting little kind of write-up I read out of the Encyclopedia Britannica. And it was a processed skins of certain animals, mainly sheep and goats and calves. And they had been prepared to write on them. And the parchment, the name actually comes from the ancient city of Pergamum. And so as they developed this parchment and it became a big exporter and a big invention for that time, uh, it was just kind of interesting to me that it kind of went back there because they had a library that had some 200,000 volumes in it, which rivaled, was only second really, to um, Alexandria in libraries of their day. So it was a real seat of knowledge as well as false religion. And it's interesting as knowledge puffs up how quickly it often goes there. The culture of the day, one interesting historical sighting that many look at is a Roman statesman named Cicero. And he just spoke of that day and he said, Man it's just, it's just the way it is that, that men just have multiple women, and, and that's the way history has always been, and never seen a good reason not to just indulge in whatever we do, and we live in such a free society that you should just go for it. Of course, that's a paraphrase. You can look that up for yourself, but it's, it's quite an interesting historical noting of the culture was just absolutely corrupt. Between the massive amount of temple, both male and female prostitutes, to just the openness of all sorts of immorality. So as you would enter Pergamum, Pergamus, there was several main deities, Greek gods, worshipped there. Zeus was one of them, and the the temple, the altar that was raised to Zeus was massive. Some estimate that it was about 125 feet by 125 feet by 50 feet tall. You can see some of its remains and get the idea of it. I believe now they have it in the museum in Berlin. And this very well may be what Jesus was referring to as the seat of Satan in this section of scripture. I think that's a little bit debatable between the emperor worship, Zeus worship, and Asclepian, Asclepius worship, which we'll touch on in just a minute. But Zeus, you know, as you'd come and you wanted something, he was, of course, the king of kings or the, the one who ruled all over the other gods. And so that's the one that they would go to. They worshipped in that manner. And, of course, with those kind of titles and that kind of power it would be a real issue for Christians. Not to mention that, as I said before, Domitian was demanding emperor worship, that you would have to burn incense to to the emperor and declare him to be Lord, which only Jesus Christ is Lord, and so that posed a real problem and it could cost you your life or at the very least your livelihood, as the church in Smyrna had been experiencing. Esclapian was an early day of medicine, kind of a strange ancient pagan version of a hospital almost, as they would worship that god of healing there. Um, it was probably closer, some would note to maybe modern day psychology as they would use whispering or sleeping or drugs. Or you could even, you know stay the night in the temple in the dark and if one of the snakes touched you, you'd be healed seems to maybe focus just a little more on the power of suggestion rather than anything that actually worked, which, you know, hey, placebos and suggestions sometimes uh, work out, and so it got quite popular. But as they would do this, um, that drew many, many people from around the empire to come in and seek healing from this (laughs) false healer, if you will. There were several others as well as they would uh, seek there for the god of wisdom or for the god that would oversee their crops or whatever. Um, they would have a god in worship dedicated to pleasure and sensuality and many of their, we'll just call them parties, were notable in history and would actually even sometimes there were people that would, be, that would die in the middle of these things. It was a uh, quite an event. So, as we're looking at this church, that's just a little bit of the setting historically that kind of led up to you and what the Christians were dealing with there. Just a hotbed for pagan worship. In fact, Jesus would say, you know, that's where Satan's throne is, where it seems that it was a real spiritual stronghold. Now, whether that meant that Satan physically dwelt dwelt there or that kind of a territory that he was at, or if it's a reference to um, something that we should kind of draw out from that, I don't really know because we know that Satan is a being that can only be in one place at one time. We find in Daniel that there are angels and there are spiritual beings that are territorial, or perhaps it's just where... It was such a center of pagan worship that that's what Jesus meant. Difficult to say, but what an interesting place to serve the Lord and to be called. Now, the church began there very strong, and they stood against this. And that's what Antipas means when it talks about the faithful martyr that died there is against all. He stood his ground. He held to Jesus' name, like vigorously cling to his name. And it cost him his life. Others, it seems, began to compromise to make their life easier. This is a place where politics and paganism ruled. And I think that maybe gives us a little insight as we see their strong political strength and savvy over the area, all the way back to when aligning with Rome, and mixing that with paganism, immorality, and worship of false gods and the exaltation of a man like emperor. And so perhaps with all of that going on, we see why it was such a hotbed, why it was such a place where the doctrine of Balaam, the Nicolaitans, was able to grow. Balaam was a guy who definitely set himself apart from the rest and prostituted his gifts for gain. Because that's really kind of what Balaam means, is is this separated one. It uh, means Lord of the people, actually, in Hebrew. And along with that, we see this group called the Nicolaitans, this untranslated word that basically means to conquer the layman, the average person. So this place where politics and paganism ruled, allowed to creep into not only there, but into the church itself, where you would create this hierarchy of people that ruled over the people, and whether it be by separating themselves as special or by getting them and using them for their own personal gain through the means of getting them to compromise in immorality. Sets up a really interesting historical backdrop to that. A couple other little notes I would probably say before I go is that we have the The white stone, which is quite an interesting thing, and I love the fact that nobody can quite catch what that means. Several different historical uses. One was that it was given as a sign of friendship or invitation to a wedding or feast festival. Another one, they used white stone if you were innocent or acquitted of a charge. Another one was another example historically was that if you were a winner from the games or you were uh, victorious, your name was put on it, and you were given free access to all the all the different feasts and festivals. And and not only were you given access, but you were but everything for you was provided in those feasts and festivals. And so I like that. Probably dive into that just a little bit on Sunday and in what we are given in Jesus as we are acquitted, we are called friends, and God provides what a wonderful banquet for us. Well I hope that helps. We're gonna continue on with each one of these churches as we move forward. Some of these things that we might not have time for on Sunday, but we have plenty of time in between then. So until then, may the Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you and keep you as we look for his appearing. God bless you. Bye.